we must understand our desire is to move and flow in the Spirit. We're not interested in just coming together to say we had church. We're not interested in gathering together simply to check something off on our calendar of religious routine. God forbid. We believe and desire and pray for the moving and the leading of the Spirit of God in every day of our life. And when we come together on a Sunday or a Thursday, we believe and pray for the leading and the moving and the ministry of the Spirit of God. I have been marked um, by that witness of the Spirit in both services. And, you know, Brother Berglund shared, Brother Brandon, I have to call him Brother Brandon, I call him Brother Berglund, I see his dad. Brother, not that that's a bad thing, I just need to distinguish the two. Uh, you know, Brother Brandon shared in the first service about faith. Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we, he opened that door in ministry, and then we continued in it speaking about words of faith. Uh, I was scribbling notes furiously at the beginning of service where the Lord had started talking to me. I've been sort of stuck in a vein, and then I ended up in the prayer room this morning, and and Brother Juan began talking to me where the Lord was dealing with him, and it got me going. They, they sort of got a sermon in the prayer room this morning or something. I don't know what that was. And that. I said, sorry, guys, you're just going to get three today if you're here for both services. And, and uh, we were in a vein, and then the Lord is dealing with me more about it when I'm up here in between services. And so I start scribbling, and uh, as I feel the Lord dealing with me, and, and then Brother Ethan begins singing that song, Speak the Name, and there's a flow and a, a witness of the Spirit of God with some things I'm scribbling over here. And then Brother Brandon speaks of this service feeling power. There's a witness of the Holy Ghost here. There is a thread of the Spirit that has flowed, and we need to recognize that. I don't always try to call all that out, but we need to recognize this is why I say we must listen with our spirit. Our spirit. I want an ear to hear. What does that mean, listening with our spirit? You know, Jesus would tell parables, stories. And he would finish. And he would sit with his disciples. And they'd say, okay, Lord, tell us what that meant. Sometimes. And he would expound to them. And they would be like, why does he always talk in parables? Why does he always tell stories? And Jesus would make statements like, you know, it's given for whom it's given, right? It's, it's given for him to hear. He that has an ear will hear. Some won't hear. What was he saying? Some people, you ever tell somebody a story and, and, then, and they're just like staring at you and you're like, you're not getting it, are you? you, you ever, don't raise your hand and definitely don't point at somebody. But you, you ever have that happen? Or maybe they're telling you a story and you're like, I heard it, but I'm not sure I'm getting it. You ever, you ever, I've had that happen to me, right? Well, So we understand that a little bit in the natural, in our human intellect, but that's how it is with our spirit. Jesus would tell parables and tell stories, and the reason he would do that is because he knew to the hungry soul. Scripture says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And so to the hungry soul... In that story, they would hear their answer. In that story, they would get revelation. In that, 
Why? Well, why? Because they were hungry. They were not just listening with their intellect. Their spirit was in tune with the Spirit of God. And when he would speak, that story opened something to them. He told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. And to the soul that didn't seem to find a way back, they heard hope in that story. It began to minister to their life. They were listening with their spirit. You and I have to listen with our spirit. And I'm telling you, the spirit of the Lord is speaking expressly today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We read this Thursday night. Please stay with me because we're not going to go where we went Thursday night, I don't think. But I've just I've been stuck right here. But we're going a little different here today. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul admonishes Timothy, and now to us. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Not might come, not could come, maybe they'll show up. No, they shall come. Why? Here's why. Verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. See, all of these attributes that are manifest through people because of their fellowship with the God of this world, they cause perilous times to come. Does that make sense? It's a result of... Okay, so let's continue reading. Without natural affection... Okay, natural affection is a man toward a woman and a woman towards a man. Unnatural affection is anything outside of that. That's what he's addressing there. Natural affection is a father to a child. Those are natural affection. This is what he's talking But he said without natural affection, we're seeing that grow more and more in our world today. As a result, perilous times shall come. Okay, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Boy, you can't tell some people anything these days. What is that? That's high-mindedness. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I want you to notice something here. We're not going to stay here very long. This is just to get us started, okay? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He did not say they don't love God. That's what we've got to notice in all of this. He does not say these people don't love God. But the problem is, and what brings perilous times, they love pleasure more than they love God. Therefore, their life is out of balance in relationship with God. They love pleasure more than they love God. And as a result, perilous times come in their life and in the world around them. So he wasn't just talking about lost people here. Watch the next verse. Just in case you were wondering. Verse 5. All these people he just talked about. They have a form of godliness. Some might look at them and say, they are godly people. Because they have a form of godliness. 
Is this what the word says? They have a form of godliness. So some would look upon them and say they are godly people and would not be completely untrue because they have a form of. But I want you to notice this last line. This is what we want to talk about. Here's the challenge for them. They deny the power thereof. The power of what? The power of godliness. They deny the power of godliness from such. What does he say? Turn away. Now, we're not going to delve into that today. It'll be a good Bible study for you on your own time to go dig into the scripture. Go dig into what those words, those two words, turn away mean. Okay? Go dig into that. But here's what I want us to look at and recognize because Paul said in the last days, this is why we're paying attention to this today. In the last days, there were those that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Okay? Hold that thought. Go with me to Matthew 28. Please. I know we're sort of plodding right now, but you probably better put your seatbelt on because we're getting ready to shift pretty quick, I think. I just got a feeling. sort of feel like we're climbing that clickety-clack up the roller coaster, you know. But then, man, once you get to the top, just hang on, buddy, because we're going. That's how, that's, how, that's how I feel in my spirit right now. Matthew 28 and verse number 18. Jesus Christ is speaking, and listen what he says. He came and spake to them, saying, all power. Everybody say all power. I have a question. What power is excluded from all power? Whose power is excluded from all power? Okay, good. We're in agreement then. All means all. All. Who's talking? Jesus. Jesus said, all power. Remember, remember what Brother Brandon said? I feel power. And it was such a witness in my spirit. All power. Who has it? Who? Jesus. I mean, that's what he said. All power is given to me. Where? In heaven and in earth. You know what heaven means? Heaven is anything and everything that's not on and in the earth. When he said all, he meant all. When he said power, he meant power. Power over everything. All power is given unto me. In heaven and earth. All power belongs to, resides in, is possessed by, controlled by 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? I do. The power is in the name. The power is in the name. The name. When we begin to sing that song, I speak the name of Jesus. I felt power flow in this room. All power. Hear me. I say this carefully but unapologetically. This is why we cannot divide him into multiplicity of persons. Power does not exist in a multiplicity of persons. The power, all power, Jesus said, is given to me. What did he do? Did he wrestle with another person in order to have all power? If all power belongs to Jesus, does the Holy Ghost have any power? Of course it does, because they're one and the same. Jesus said, the Father is going to send the Holy Ghost in my name. Jesus, so, so did Jesus wrestle with the Father for power? Of course not. Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are two persons. Oh, no, no, he didn't say that. He said, I and my Father are one. One. The Jews had a hard time with that. Not that they were one. They received that. The reason they had a hard time is they're like, if you're saying you and your Father are one, you're saying you're the Messiah. You're saying you're God come and wrapped in flesh, the one we're looking for. We're one. Now watch. Remember what we just read in 2 Timothy 3? There are those that have a form of godliness. But what? They deny the power thereof. I need you to pray with me right now. In the name of name of Jesus all power is given unto him this is why knowing who he is matters so much Jesus wasn't stroking his ego when he asked the disciples who do men say that I am some say you're Elias or one of the prophets who do you say I am Peter spoke up you are the Christ you are the son of the living God now, to you and I, if we give room to all the thought of this world that has split God into a multiplicity of persons, that would be a confusing statement. 
But to the Jew that understands clearly, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and Him only shalt thou serve. When Peter said, You are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, he was declaring, You're the one God that we worshipped in the Old Testament, that prophesied coming in the New. You're the one that existed. You're Jehovah, and you've come as you said you would and wrapped yourself in flesh. You are the living God. He wasn't trying to stroke his ego. He was revealing to them who he was. And it was critical to him that they knew who he was. Why? Because that's where the power's at. He knew all power would be given to him. He would walk in all power. He would operate in all power. All power would flow through him. All power is subject to him. Hear me, all power is subject to him. It's impossible to have all power subject to you. If you take God and you split God into a multiplicity of persons, here's the challenge with that. If all power is given to Jesus, then the Father has to submit to the Son. And the Son has power over the Father. I mean, if, if you split them into multiplicity of persons and you believe the Scripture, you would have to say the Father has to submit to the Son because the Son has all power. But when we understand the Father... The Son and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. We recognize the powers in the name. The adversary would like to twist and deceive who God is. So that people can have a form of godliness. But deny the power thereof. And it's a subtle deception that has been working for 1800 years. About 200 years or so after Christ. We touched on it. Some of you are thinking, we're just repeating. Kind of, sort of, but no, we're going somewhere else. Stay with me. That continued on. We talked last week about the Council of Nicaea and Constantine. And I had a couple talk to me afterwards. Absolutely right. You had Justin Martyr first. Then you had Tertullian continuing. But then Constantine sort of to the world as the king and this idea of a multiplicity of persons in God has continued to be fostered from those days forward the apostles didn't foster that Jesus didn't foster that it was a couple hundred years almost after Christ and the birth of the church in Acts that that began to be fostered why because the enemy knows if I can plant a seed of deception and continue to perpetuate it through years he, he doesn't care how long it takes thereby many would be deceived And they'll be content with a form of godliness. But they would deny the power thereof. The power is who he is. We must know who he is. Notice when Peter declared, thou art the Christ, Jesus said to him, watch, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This was not natural learning and education whereby you came about this. But my father revealed this to you, which is in heaven. A 
different person revealed it to him? No, no, no. The very same spirit that dwelt in the Lord Jesus Christ manifested itself to Peter and revealed himself so that Peter recognized, I'm talking to the Father who's clothed in the flesh manifested through the Son. Does that make sense? Now watch. You say, we get this, we know this, we understand this. I believe many of us do. God's given us revelation of the oneness of God. But watch. Why does this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because it's the last days. Because it's the last days. And in the last days, there will be those that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Watch. And it's okay now. But you know, there are places in our world where if I would have just said, or would have said what I just said, I would be dead right about now if certain people were around or in the room. Watch. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We talked Thursday night about sound doctrine. We need to know what we believe, what the Bible says that informs and guides and directs and is the source of what we believe. And then we must be able to speak it, speak the truth in love. All right. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. It was one of those I am statements. He made it in John chapter 8, I think. I am, he said. I am. When they heard that, they heard the Old Testament. Moses, who do I say sent me? And the Lord says to Moses, I am that I am has sent you. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. When he said, I am the way, he was saying, there is no other way. Hear me. We can't give in to the thinking of this world. Well, there's, there's many ways to get to God. No, there's not. There's only one way. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way. There's not another way. You say, that's harsh. No, no. It's the love of God that's revealed Himself to us so that we would know there's a way to get to God. And the only way is through Him. Furthermore, Jesus said, I am the truth. You understand, when He said, I'm the way, He's saying there's not another way. When He said, I'm the truth, He's saying there is not another truth. Jesus is the truth. You can't deny who He is, all-powerful, the living God manifested in the flesh, and still say you have truth. He is the truth. Furthermore, He said, I am the way. There's not another way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There's no other life. If I don't have Him, I don't have life. But in Him is life, and that more abundantly. He said, I have come to give you life. Yes. He said, I am. Another I am statement. You can read them throughout the book of John. I am, I am, I am. Every time the Jews around Him in His day heard that, they heard. He's declaring that He's God. I am the bread of life. I am the light that lights every man that enters into the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
God anoint our minds. Let the revelation of the Spirit come upon us to know who He is. Why? Because it's the source of power. And I'll not deny who He is. I'll not deny this source. The power flows through the revelation of the name of Jesus Christ. This matters because it's the last days. This matters because it's the last days. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 10. See what the scripture says and declares to us from those that have been baptized in his name, filled with his spirit, walking and living as the early church. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. They have just prayed in Acts 3. To give you a little bit of setting. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. That's what they did as Jews. They went to the temple daily and prayed. When they were going in the temple in Acts chapter 3, they walked by a man there at the gate begging, asking for alms. Many of you know the story. Peter and John turned and looked at him and saw that he expected to receive something. And they said, look on us. And the man looked on them expecting to receive something. He thought he was going to get alms. But Peter said... Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Watch. In the name. Acts 3 and 3, I think. Or 4. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him. And immediately his ankle bones and his legs received strength. And fast forward, he went dancing and leaping with them into the temple. Where did the power come from to raise him up, to restore his leg? He'd been in that condition many years. I'll tell you where the power came from. The power came from the spoken word of faith and the declaration of the name of Jesus Christ. All power is in the name and knowing who he is. And so when Peter took him by the hand and boldly declared in the name of Jesus Christ, healing came into his body. Well, this caused a problem. There's a stir going on now in Jerusalem because it didn't just happen anywhere. This happened at the entrance to the temple, and then they went into the temple. And in the temple, they come to worship the one true God. And they got these people walking around declaring that the one true God has already come as Messiah and that it was the Lord Jesus Christ. They're calling Jesus Christ Lord. This is posing a problem for all of these believing Jews. Because what it's saying is, you missed when God came. But He's come. And they're confronted with this. You see that? They're confronted with it. And so they're arguing against it and fighting it. Acts 4 and 10. You got context now. You got the picture. This is what we're reading about now. Acts 4 and 10. Because they asked. We should go back to verse 7 now that you put that up there so beautifully. Watch. And when they had set them in the midst. Who's them? This is Peter and John. So all these religious leaders got Peter and John said, hey, come here. Put them right in the middle of them. We got a question for you. By what power? There's that word again. By what power or by what name? When they said by what name, here's what they're really asking. In the authority of who? Have you done this? Whose authority are you operating under that's caused this to take place? Does that make sense? Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, 
you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. He has become the head of the corner. Verse 12 really pricked their heart. Neither is there salvation in any other. Is that what it says? This is what they're declaring in the midst of the religious leaders. Neither is there salvation in any other. In plain English, you can't be saved by anyone else. Is that what it said? For, why, why? Here's why. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you realize how confrontational this was? Because, I promise you, those people he was speaking to, they knew the scrolls of Isaiah. They knew what the prophet Isaiah declared. They knew the word of the Lord declared through Isaiah's mouth and through his writing. And here's things that had to come to their mind when he said, Neither is there salvation in any other. I hear the words of Isaiah declaring, the Lord speaking, I alone am God, and beside me there is no Savior. It's in there. I alone am God, and beside me, you hear those words of Isaiah? Beside me, on my left, not beside me, on my right, no, no, no. The Lord said, beside me, there is no Savior. So through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord was declaring, the Lord God Jehovah, Yahweh, was declaring, I alone am salvation. Yes. But then the disciples have the audacity, the nerve, the gall, or else they have revelation and authority. And I certainly believe it was the latter. They had the revelation and the authority of who Jesus was and who he is. And that's why they could boldly declare without wavering and with certainty, neither is there salvation in any other other who? The one who made this man whole. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of your salvation. And when they declared that, they were declaring Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. I'm not trying to be confrontational with you. And I mean that with all of my heart. But I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, I am confronting a spirit of this day and a spirit of this world that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. I'm telling you, the power is that the mighty God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. The power is in the fact that God Almighty left his throne in glory, robed himself in flesh, and came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Whose glory was it? It was the Father's glory manifested in the face of Jesus Christ. He was, is the only, the express image of the invisible God. 
And the words of Isaiah still ring true. He is Lord and beside Him there is no Savior. The Word didn't change. It just manifested itself. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And man has tried to make God fit into a multiplicity of persons when God came and said, I'm manifesting myself in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're good with all this, right? We believe this. Neither is there salvation in any other. We believe that. I do too. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now watch verse 13. Now when they, that's the religious leaders, the elders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. See, this, they were having trouble with this. These religious leaders, they knew the law. They were looking for the Messiah. Everything they did was preparing for the Messiah someday to come. They were, and, and here all of a sudden there's two guys that were fishermen. And these two fishermen who aren't necessarily learned in the law like they are, are declaring to them that Messiah has come and His name is Jesus Christ. And He's the only source of salvation. They believe the Messiah is the only source of salvation. They just didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. The religious leaders, that is. And they're looking and they're listening. And they're shaking their heads and they're marveling because they can't explain it. These unlearned, ignorant men. But they took knowledge of them. What did they notice about them? They had been with Jesus. Now, if it stops there, that's fine. But it didn't stop there. And this is why it's so important to you and I. And why we're continuing to confront the spirit of the day. Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council. So they put Peter and John in the middle. Ask all these questions. Here, come here, you two. You're Peter and John this morning. Israel, Joel, you're Peter and John. Your name just got changed. brought you in and we're all standing around you two, Peter and John. God just used them. They just healed the lame man through the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. Brought him in, counseled him, asking all these questions. We read one thing that they said. I believe they probably dug a little more and poked a little more. And, but then we see this declaration by Peter that we've just read here in these few verses. And they're standing there. They answered boldly without wavering. They didn't know what to do. So now they're stuck in a pickle, if you will. And they're like, you guys go, go outside and sit down. We'll be back with you. Don't leave. We'll be back with you in a minute. Go outside and sit down. That's what we just read right there. They commanded them to go aside out of the council. We got to talk about this without y'all here. That's exactly what they said. We don't read it that way, but that's what happened, right? Okay. And so they came over here, 
Peter and John are outside on the waiting bench. I don't know where they're at, but they're outside out of the council. And now these religious leaders are talking about it. And they said, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them. It's manifest. This is why they were concerned. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Our religious bubble's getting burst here. Our ability to control the people with our religious tradition and routine is getting busted up here. What are we going to do with these men? Verse 17. But that it spread no further. we got to get this under control. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly. This is what we're going to do. When we bring them back in, we're going to threaten them. Is that what it says? We're going to threaten them. And this is the threat. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them. You don't have to come back. They brought them back into the room. They called them and they commanded them not to speak at all. Nor teach in the name of Jesus What were they doing? They had a form of godliness. But they were denying the power thereof. Don't teach in the name. Don't speak in the name. Don't walk in the name. Don't heal in the name. You can quote the law. You can declare everything from Genesis all the way through Malachi. But don't you start teaching that Christ was Messiah come and walked in flesh among us. Don't you keep speaking in the name. What were they doing? They were denying the power thereof. He had revealed himself. And the problem for the religious leaders was he was now manifesting himself through the people of God that were filled with his spirit. I was reflecting in a conversation with Brother Jimenez in the prayer room this morning. I think it was with, um, I I can't remember which president it was, so I I won't do it. It's not a political thing here. But one of the presidents had um, uh, Franklin Graham pray at his Inauguration, I think. And uh, when he had him pray, there was these protocols. The protocols of praying are, at, at the inauguration, is you can say things like, The Almighty God. God. Great something or another, whatever. You, you, but you cannot, this was instructions, don't use the name Jesus. Because if you use the name Jesus, you isolate others who believe differently. I'll never forget it. Because I'd heard about that on the front end. I thought, I'm watching and listening to this. I want to see what he says. Will he bow to the political pressure? And he prayed. I can't remember anything he prayed. I'm sure it was good. He prayed properly according to protocol. Mighty God, whatever, all his stuff. When he finished, or when he was getting ready to finish, he said, we ask all of this, something along these lines, in the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) And he went and sat down. And I said, yes! He didn't bow to the pressure. You know what's interesting? 
from that day forward, I have watched persecution come against him. And I have prayed for him for the fullness of revelation of truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Watch. What we see here in Acts chapter 4 is a people of God, Peter and John. And we see many others as we read through the book of Acts. They were baptized in his name. They were filled with his spirit. They were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And signs and wonders were being done as a result. And they began to be rebuked and persecuted and called out for their belief. It's going to happen. Watch. Listen to what Jesus said. It's not discouraging, it's encouraging. It speaks of where we are in time. He's about to come for his church. You're not going to be able to keep up back there. I'm just going to tell you right now. So I'm just going to go fast and you'll have to listen again. Or if you write fast, you can write fast. But I want you to watch. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus said, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. Matthew 24 and 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Mark 13, 13. You shall be hated of all men for my Name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. But bef- Luke 21, 12. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. The power is in the name. The power is, and I could have kept reading. I didn't go, we could have just kept reading through the Gospels. There's about three or four other ones there. The power is in the name. The power is not just in the name. It's in the revelation of who he is. It's a lot. It's a lot different if I declare the name of Jesus but my belief is that he's one of three persons in a Godhead versus if I declare the name of Jesus and I believe him to be the one true living God who has all power and all authority there's a difference there's a difference Philippians chapter 2 I'm going to hurry and finish. Maybe. Philippians 2 verse 9. Wherefore. Now I didn't read the first eight verses just because of time. You can go read it. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Who is him? The Lord Jesus Christ. And given him. What? A name. Which is what? 
It's above every name. It is above every name. Do you know what that means? You know what I think of when I read this scripture? Anybody ever look at one of those corporate hierarchy charts? We have them in my workplace. Like, I'm a director, and I have these branch managers that report to me, and they have people that report to them. But as a director, I have a a VP that I report to, and he has senior VPs that he report to, and they report to the CEO. Right? You ever seen those hierarchy charts like that? They look like trees, corporate trees or whatever. Somebody's name's at the top of that chart. Yeah? When I read this scripture, this is sort of the mental picture I get. God has given him a name that is above every name. Sort of fits with what Jesus said. All power. But here, let's keep reading. A name that's above every name. Notice there's a colon there. So he's getting ready to further explain or further define what that means. Verse number 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth. Remember what Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And here we see the declaration, a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth. And just in case you weren't sure what things in earth entailed and things under the earth. If you thought he missed something when he was talking about the heaven and the earth, he's under the earth too. And that every tongue should confess. What should every tongue confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord of all. Lord. You go back in the Old Testament. When you see Lord, it's Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God. The high priest would wear on him, Lord God of righteousness. What are we seeing? We are seeing this declaration, the power in the name and the authority of who Jesus is. In this last day, there will be a revelation of the name of Jesus Christ. There will be a revelation to men. Blindness will fall from the mind. Blindness will fall from the eye. It will be removed by the power of God, the love of God, and the witness of the word of God through the mouth of the people of God. And there will come an understanding. The mighty God was in Christ Jesus Reconciling the world unto himself. And he is the head. He is the head of all, not some, all principality and power. And you and I, we are complete in him as a result of that. In the name of Jesus. Hear me today and I finish. Please stand with me. The name of Jesus is spoken by many. And there's power in the name. But the power in the name comes from the revelation of the name. And who he is. That's why Jesus to Peter did not say, Who do you, what do you say my name is? He said, who do you say I am? You see the difference? Not what do you say my name is. Who, you think Jesus knew what he was saying? I love the word of God. Watch again, listen. Who do you say I am? 
It's almost like he gave him the answer, you know. Who do you say I am? He wasn't concerned that he knew his name alone, but that he knew who he was. The power of the name is in knowing who he is. Isaiah declared it in Isaiah 9 and 6. He prophetically declared it. For unto us a child is born. Who is he talking about? Who's the child? Not a trick question. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Who's he talking about? Who's he, who's he talking about? Not a trick question. Is he prophesying Jesus? Right? We read that at Christmas all the time. Notice, notice that first line. Please look. I know this is more like Bible study today than it is preaching. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry, but here we are. A child is born. A son. We, we all believe that's talking about Jesus, right? And there's a colon at the end. Now he's going to further define this child and this son. What about him? The government authority, the ability to rule, to govern. The government will be upon his shoulder. Okay? Shoulder's a place of authority. Right? That's why in the military they have the stars and the stripes on their shoulder. That's where they display their authority, the government. It'll be upon his shoulder. No, this, there's another colon. Now we're going to get further defining that authority, that government, that child, that son, right? His name. Oh, his name matters. What will his name be called? Well, we'll call him Wonderful. I like that. We'll call him Counselor. I like that. The child, the son. Oh, but watch. We're going to call him something else, too. We're going to call the child, the son. We're going to call him a person in the mighty God. No? What are we calling him? Look at that. Why is it capitalized? The mighty God. Oh. Want to go further? What else are we calling him? Whoa, hold on. Whoa, hold on a minute. The child that's born. The son that's given. He's the everlasting father. I didn't write that. Yes. Isn't this so simple? But see, the adversary plants a seed of deception and fosters it and feeds it and has books written about it and has theologies built around it and has it perpetrated again and again and again. And people, rather than digging and seeking to know him, lay hold on things that have been passed down for 1,800 years. The child, the son, has a name. And he's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. How is it possible? He's God. His name is Jesus. And the power is in the name. And the revelation of who he is. 
How is it? And I say this carefully. I, I trust you understand, and some of you don't know me very well, but many of you do. I trust you understand today. This expression is not one of criticism against those that have not yet seen this and had this revealed. These expressions are not expressions of criticism or lifting self up to put others down or putting people down to lift others up. This is expression is to reveal the word of God that God by his great grace would open our understanding and help us recognize what we've been given. Remember where we started in 2 Timothy 3? And he named all those different things, truce breakers, heady, high-minded, lovers of, God, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. How is all that possible? How is it that we can look at churchdom, especially in North America, and we can see this gamut and we're like, man, I see people that call themselves Christian, but their life and their lifestyle and their outward expression doesn't seem to align with what I read in the Word of God. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. They have a form of godliness. Gandhi was not a Christian, you understand that. But Gandhi made a statement. He said, I've read a lot about your Jesus, and I can love your Jesus, but I don't think a lot of you look and act like your Jesus. Was he being critical? No, he was lifting up what he saw when he read and studied about the Lord. Hear me, when we get a revelation of who he is and the power of the name of Jesus, it begins a transformative work in our lives. It's the power. The power is in the name. When you and I declare the name, we're not just spouting off a four-letter word. We don't toss it around casually like, oh, I just, I'll just throw the name of Jesus out and see if I can make something happen. God forbid. We should reverence and hold high the name that is above every name. But when we declare the name of Jesus, I love the way Brother Barnes said it. He said, when you declare the name, in the name abides all the blood is in the name of Jesus. All of the power of the blood is in the name. All the power of the word is in the name. All the power of the spirit is in the name. All faith is in the name and all power is in the name. So when you declare the name of Jesus, you're releasing the power of the blood, the word, the spirit, faith. When we sing that song, I speak the name of Jesus over you. It's not just a five-letter word that I like to say and hope something happens. I have faith that the almighty God is manifest through the Lord Jesus. Would you reach to him right now with your spirit? There is healing virtue in this room. There is deliverance here in this room. There is salvation here in this room. And his name is Jesus. There is victory over addiction in this room. And his name is Jesus. There is deliverance for the mind that is tormented here today. And his name is Jesus.